you had some fancy coffee on Friday night. Yeah, I went to a coffee place that does 3D latte art. What does that even mean, 3D? They actually like build up on the surface of your coffee little cats and things. Actually like 3D cats poking out the top of your coffee, smiling at you. It's very cute. That's not possible. It's totally possible. It's totes possible. Can you quick, quick, you've got to show me now. Okay, hang on. Wait, wait. Okay, it's quite impressive. Please describe it. Like I said, they're already just building up the foam on top to make it look like a cat's face or a cat's paws poking out. I think one of the cuter ones they do is when it looks like there's a cat bathing in your coffee and it's just got like its little head and paws on the edges like popping out the top. So it looks like it's having a little bath in your coffee. And what they've got is it just chocolate on the top sprinkled to give a bit of definition on things. Or or they use like a toothpick and they like draw out some of the coffee from underneath to give it some colour. Sounds like your kind of place. Cute cats. Cute cats. I went and I told you I went to for sushi on Monday at some Japanese sushi place. Did I tell you this? And go on. Dinner went on for like more than three hours because it was one of those sushi places where you you pay like for a tier of menu, and then you don't pick what you're eating. Like the sushi chef just decides what he thinks you'll like um, by looking at your face. By looking at your face. Yes. So there were all your reactions to previous things. So we were there for like three hours, just being given various different kinds of sushi. And at the end, the owner came out wearing dungarees and she had two kittens in her dungarees, like in the pocket at the front of the dungarees, because there were loads of pictures of cats in the restaurant. And obviously it's her restaurant. And she was just like, oh, here, have a kitten. And I was like, oh, it's so cute. It's so adorable. It was like, yeah, she just handed us kittens to play with. Not literally have a kitten. Not literally. I couldn't take it home, sadly, but it was so cute. It was tiny and it was so cute and it was clambering all over my face. And it was like meowing. Yeah, that was very therapeutic. You're clearly a pet person. You're not, your, your reaction isn't that, is this thing being near my food? <laughs> it was really funny, actually, because there were three of us there. And one, one of us was just like, is it hygienic to have cats in a restaurant? <laughs> and me and the other person were like, oh, it's so adorable. I wish I could take it home. I love this cat so much. I feel like I have a bond with it, even though I've only held it for 10 seconds. Yes, I, I'd quite like a pet. So these kittens were in the in the dining area. They came into the dining. Area. It was a very small restaurant. Okay. It was like a Japanese like subway station style restaurant. It was literally the address. You know, I got told I'll go to this address, and it's like, well, I'm there. It appears to be a Seven Eleven. Like, oh no, no, around the corner, there's like a little cubby in the wall, and there was literally like an alcove in the wall that had enough room for like seats and a sushi counter. So it was a tiny place. And yeah, the owner just came out the back with his cats after dinner. So do you feel hipper having been there? I do feel hipper having been there. I feel like I've had, I feel I've had a fun and interesting week, but I'm just totally wrecked because I went out and did something like every day this week. I'm not used to having such a social life. Maybe something in between. Yeah, maybe something. (laughs) Maybe something in between. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We're one years old. One years old. One years old. What is this? You don't grammar good. <laughs> I definitely don't. One year. We're one year old. One year. Oh, fucking hell. It's, it's actually more than one year because by the time this episode goes out, and also we did a whole bunch of practice episodes first, so really we're older than one year, but let's call it one year. So well, we're one year old. We don't have any party poppers, nothing to celebrate. Oh, yeah. I was thinking I should get like party whistles and stuff, but no, I did no full planning. Maybe for next year. No, but we can edit it in. It's not a big deal. Oh, okay. This is so, you. This is you instructing me to edit what it in. Yeah. Okay. Not so. one. Not one. Let's. We're, we're better than one. Ten, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do this time is we're going to talk about how this all started and how far we've got, or how far we've not got. So I had I had a very clear dream for for myself, but I don't know if you. We're still sort of figuring yours out now. Well, so, I th- let's talk about your dream. So I had a list, a list of like, I think it was 10 games and I just wanted to clear them. That was it. And then the podcast is done. You know, we're done. We shut it down after that, I think. <laughs> is that what you were Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but we have managed to clear some of them. I'm very impressed with the commitment. So what have you managed to clear down? So we've cleared down Majora's Mask. What else? Baldur's Gate 2. 
Although Baldur's Gate 2 you only put on because you've been talking to me, so um, it's like a nil-sum game. <laughs> so there's Baldur's Gate 2 and Majora's Mask. I think that's it. <laughs> For a whole year's work. <laughs> no, we, we were playing other stuff. It wasn't just the whole year was dedicated to those three games. Oh, and you made a start to Twilight Princess. Yes, I made a start to that. I got a Wii U, I made a start to that. But <laughs> there's a lot of disclaimers with these um, completions. For instance, Baldur's Gate I never completed because I gave up, but I needed <laughs> I needed the blessing from my peers, so you blessed it, and I had someone else bless it saying, Ting, if you don't... <laughs> If you can't get on with it after 40 hours, you can, you're permitted to remove it. And with Jaws Mask, I think I rushed through it. I want to play it again. But that's really against everything this is for. But if I ask for your 3DS at some point, you'll understand why. Yeah, yeah, please borrow it. It's okay. fine. But as part of maintaining a list, it, the list is allowed to grow as well. So I've added Journey to that list and I've added Fallout 3. Wait, haven't you played Journey? No, I've not played Journey. Oh, I really thought you'd played it. No, I suggested playing Journey, but you said no, and I thought, okay, we won't play Journey. Oh, I said no, because I thought you'd already played it, and you just wanted to... Or, or or maybe I'm just remembering wrong, but okay, I didn't realise you hadn't played it. Journey's easy, we can knock that off one week. Yeah, I'm sure if you listen back to the old podcast, you'll see, you'll, you'll hear the, the disappointment in my voice when you say, let's not play Journey. And Fallout 3, I want to play because of Fallout 4. I may be not on the backlog officially, but I definitely want to check it out. And something odd that's happened is you'll notice that Arkham City is on the PS3 and it's probably better on a PC. I could play on PC, but I'm not because I want the trophies. I want to play on PS3. Can you judge me, please? You fool. Is the remaster that bad? No, they said um, the lighting's been fudged, so everything's lighter than it should be. Oh. The port to Unreal 4 doesn't work out. Oh, they actually ported it to Unreal 4? Yeah. That's oh. a new lighting engine. I guess you're right. I guess they can't just run Unreal Three on a PlayStation. Well, they could, but mm-hmm. okay, F- fine. Bad architectural decision. Mm, interesting. I never, I'd never thought of that. But that's really interesting. I never thought of that. Okay, I'll, I'll read up about that after. So I, I'm making progress. Yeah, your, your numbers going down then. Yeah, or at least staying reasonably level. So mine, <laughs> still out of control. Is it getting worse or better? So you've actually written down the number here. What was it a year ago? 596. 596 unplayed. I think so. Games in my Steam account. And now, a year later, the unplayed games in my Steam account is 876. <laughs> so it's, it's not only got worse, it's got a lot worse. <laughs> I don't know how to spin this. Do I say, oh, poor games, not getting much love? Or think about all the kids who who want games to play, but you're just taking them all, but it doesn't work like that. They're not physical copies. Thing. Yeah, I think this is artificially bad in a way, because a lot of these are probably humble bundle keys that I hadn't claimed yet, and I just made an effort to claim all of them. So that's probably artificially made this worse than it than it really is. But I am probably playing new Steam games at a rate of less than one a week. And I'm probably adding Steam games to my account whenever there's a Humble Bundle at a rate of more than one a week. So it is definitely getting worse. I think I said to you, the way I play stuff, it's not that I have a firm list that I'm going through. Stuff just pops in at the head of the list if I want to play it. And sometimes it's games that I don't even own before, but I would just like to play this game because it's like the zeitgeist, like No Man's Sky, you know, I just bought it because it was like, now people are playing No Man's Sky. If I'm going to play No Man's Sky and bitch about it, I have to buy it now. So that's kind of how things work out, unfortunately. I've known you for two years now. I now appreciate how impulsive you are, so I'm not surprised. How impulsive I am. Yes. Interesting. I never really thought of myself that way, but maybe it's true. I don't know. I'm not really operating a backlog. It's um, fine. I think that was what probably what we thought of you, you know, a while back anyway. Yeah. I'm just thinking what I like. I like right now, I weirdly would really like to play Sunless Sea. I don't know why, but I actually, well, I do know why. I've been watching these Let's Plays about it and I really want to play Sunless Sea, but I'm having to, I'm trying to resist. Why do that? I don't know why. Maybe I should just go back and play Sunless Sea. Maybe I'll play Sunless Sea after this podcast. You have Sunless Sea. I, I, I do already own it. I already bought it the last time I wanted to play Sunless Sea. But that does mean you have to stop Shenzhen I.O. 
Is that is that how your mind works? Is it because you've got something currently ongoing? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just because I'm playing whatever I feel like playing. I did finish the DLC for Dark Souls 3. Um, so that's off your plate. Which is off my plate, yeah. So I've got... Yeah, Shane Sonayo. And I realised I realized actually now that I never finished Steven Sausage Roll, for example. So things do just fall by the wayside sometimes. And particularly for puzzle games, it's quite hard to pick them back up again because I think if you're playing a really difficult puzzle game, you actually start to build up like specialised hardware in your brain for solving the puzzles. And then when you come back to it six months later, your brain has just reclaimed all that space because it just, you know, I don't need to have special structures in my brain to figure out where sausages will roll. But then, of course, you're going back to square one again. But dare you accept a f- defeat or failure? Yeah, that's the thing. I want I want to be a successful person. I want to be the sort of person you can say, I finished Steven Sausage Roll. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Makes but perfect th- sense. But then, you know, it's there's going to be a high cost to it. I mean, we looked through my Steam games list for the hours played. And number three for hours played is still Space Chem. Because that's what it took to finish Space Chem. And the DLC. Actually, I didn't even finish the DLC because I did the DLC months later and my brain had reclaimed a lot of the space. I couldn't just, I just couldn't do it anymore. So, yeah, I, you're looking at dozens of hours of effort if I was trying to finish Steven Sausage Roll. It's not a small effort. And I think I'd probably rather play Sun and Sea or Earthbound or something. So, well, at least you can let it go. I can let it go. Yeah. For now, at least. So, do we have an official, you know, we know that for my backlog, it's still ongoing. It's just a work in progress. For Sir Michael. Whatever. Whatever I feel like. See, YOLO. YOLO! YOLO! Okay, so next up, we want to talk about our hashtag seven fave games. This is months ago now, actually. It's quite funny. We, we kept meaning to talk about this. But we never quite got around to it, but never. now it seems as good a time as any. I think we just take turns announcing them and talk about them for a little bit. See how different we are. How we, we really shouldn't be friends because we have nothing in common. I, well, I think it's actually really, really hard to pick just seven, because if you'd said seven fave open world games, or seven fave RPGs, or seven fave puzzle games, I could have given you a list for those, but just saying seven fave games, seven's really not very many, so you you definitely asked me, why isn't this on the list, why isn't that on the list, and I was like, I don't know, I just didn't think of it at the time, I just had to come up with seven. You can update the list. No, because it would just go on forever. It would, it would get wildly out of control like my Steam games backlog. We just refine the list. No, no, no. Let's, let's stick to the seven. Let's stick to the seven. Okay. So tell me about your thought process. Let's build it up. What was your thought process? How, how did you come to the seven without naming any of them yet? I was trying to give some impression of the kind of person that you are. Yeah. I was, I was, trying, to, I was trying to pick stuff that covered a spectrum of the different games I like, not all from one genre. To show how much of a snob you are. That's right. Not all from one time period. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to pick, you know, I was trying to pick a selection of games, different genres, different periods of time. Yeah, just to give some overview of the sort of games I like, I guess. Nothing too common, nothing too esoteric. You don't want to pick like some really weird indie game that no one's ever heard of and go, oh, you haven't heard about, oh, it's such a wonderful game. You haven't lived until you've played, you know, I don't want to like, do anything really, really crazy. But at the same time, I didn't want to pick like Call of Duty. Oh, shit. Well, also because actually I haven't really played Call of Duty, which is a big failing on my part. You know, I haven't played this game series really or the single player, which obviously is a massive, massive hit. And I haven't actually played that. Uh, and I really should have done. But, you know, the absence of it says something, I guess, as well. So that that was my thought process. I know you, you were just like farted out seven games. <laughs> so rude. Why do you have to be so rude? I don't know. I don't, well, I don't know. I was trying to say the opposite. It's kind. It's fine. Is it true? No, I just picked stuff that I spent a lot of time with that I was excited about, that I enjoyed throughout. And stuff that made me believe in games more. I'm sure we've all had times where you thought, this is done, there's nothing... There's nothing left for me here. Mm. I'm going to pick up fishing or golfing now. <laughs> You're going to become a grown-up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But the Switch means I don't have to ever become a grown-up. Should we go through them? Yeah, yeah. Maybe say a little bit about each one. Okay. So you can, you can start with your first one. They're yeah. not in any order, right? They're not in any particular order, no. So the first, right. one, the first one that I wrote down was Final Fantasy Tactics. 
This is kind of a weird snobbish game in a way, actually, because Final Fantasy Tactics was never released in Europe. Well, on the PlayStation. So I have an imported copy of the US Final Fantasy Tactics that I had to use the PS1 disc swapping trick to play, where you wedge a piece of blue tack into your disc sensor and like switch discs while it's loading. Otherwise, the PlayStation won't load it because of the region code lockout. Is it safe to do that? Yeah, yeah, to it's yourself? fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's just a bit of laser in your eye. So it's a really good game. It's a tactical RPG. It's a Final Fantasy game. It has quite a, I think, grown-up story. It's about like the civil war in a country. To be clear, I'm talking about the PlayStation Final Fantasy Tactics, not the Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which is a much more happy storybook twee version of Ivalice where there are like different sentient races and like sentient lizard people sentient rabbit people whatever not that one the one that is a civil war between two warring houses and which of the lions do you back the black lion or the white lion and then you are the adopted son this family and they've poisoned their father to seize the the family's power for themselves these two brothers it's it's crazy it's all dark and messed up and it's really it's really interesting and it's been told from like this historic perspective. This is what the history books say, but this is what really happened. It's a story-driven game as much as a... It has a deep story that you don't actually have to pay any attention to if you don't want to. But it has a good story, and the gameplay itself is fantastic. It's really clever. It's like the composition of your squad. You will play, I think, like five or six characters out of your army of, you know, 30 or something that you can pick. And they have different jobs... Uh, it's using the Final Fantasy job system. You start out as like the two basic classes, a squire, which is like the fighter class, or the chemist, which is like the magic route. And then once you reach a certain level of chemist, you can become a black mage or a white mage. Once you reach a certain level of squire, you can become a knight or a ninja or something. Things like that. There's all these different like leveling up things, different spells, different items, lots of hidden stuff. It's really good. A really good, deep, tactical RPG with a great story. I, I really liked it. So you're waiting for them to resurrect that so there have been sequels but on on the game boy advance or and on the ds like final fantasy tactics advance but to me they're not quite the same because they're uh, like i said this twee storybook take on it rather than this serious gritty orphans being killed because they you know they're not nobility so they're trash to the nobility and stuff like that is terrible you know but it's a really it's a really good game I don't think there's been anything quite like it they did a playstation portable psp version of it called War of the Lions, like a a remake with a new translation. And in many ways, the new translation is better, but they also took some other stuff out of it. So it's a bit of a different take on it. Is Tactics Ogre part of the same? Tactics Ogre, yeah, I think it's the same designer. It's not part of the same series, but I think Tactics Ogre... Tactics Ogre is a more hardcore version of it. I actually tried playing Tactics Ogre, and I just it was too hardcore for me, because it's got permadeath. Final Fantasy Tactics to me was just the right balance. I really liked it. We can move on. So your first one is... Half-Life. She's so, so much more mainstream compared to you. But when I read your list, I was like, oh yeah, why didn't I pick Half-Life? You know? <laughs> Tell me about Half-Life. Why did you pick it? It got me through my GCSEs. I remember coming home from every exam and said, I'm going to play some Half-Life now. This is the best way. And I, unlike you, I'll play through stuff half an hour at a time. So almost like as I was going through my GCSE exams, I was playing a bit more of Half-Life going through the, the story, the campaign. I'm going to say it was revolutionary for me. You'll probably tell me otherwise. No, it was definitely revolutionary for its time. So all the cutscenes, which were optional, they sort of played out in front of you and hopefully you were party to what happened well not party but you're an observer an actual observer and everything was much more paced it wasn't just storm through the whole level and just kill everything and get the red card get the yellow key card and push them to you know find the yellow key card door and red key card door yeah that's the thing because i think maybe people these days don't realize that until half-life that is what first person shooters were like kill everything get the red key card go to the red key card door there was no story there was no like cinematic setting for it it was very much an excuse to shoot things and pick up keys so half-life is the first time really i think that there was a story like a modern first person shooter basically 
everything since Half-Life, I guess, has been like Half-Life, pretty much. And from the opening cinematic onwards, it's not even the cinematic, the opening... Riding the train. Exactly. I mean, that's scene setting was pretty special. Like, you know some things, you can already build, it's already building that sense of anticipation in that first, those first 15 minutes. That's why I've chosen Half-Life. I think that's why I've chosen most of these. But we can go on. Okay. So my next one, Master Iron 2. Tell me when. When when was Master of Orion 2? I think it was 96. Okay. I think I already talked about this quite at length when I was talking about Master of Orion, the remake, and Stellaris probably a few podcasts ago. You just want to conquer the universe. Just want to conquer the universe. It was a really fun space 4X strategy game. The thing I liked about it that I think, in many ways, is similar to Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, designing your squad, designing your fleet, designing the ships... And the ship design goes to the level of, I'm going to put laser cannons that can shoot forwards or backwards or left or right, or I'm going to put missiles on, you know. The the design of the ships plays a very big part of the game. If you don't have an overwhelming tech advantage, it is possible to still win in borderline cases by designing your ships better and playing those tactical battles better than your opponent. And I just really, really like that. I don't think anything has done it since because... Most of the time now, I think people shy away from tactical turn-based battles. It's only really the indie scene where people are still doing it. Mainstream games are all real-time, and I feel like all the modern space strategy games don't really have this anymore, so I really liked it. I played it again relatively recently when I was trying to remind myself, is it just rose-tinted glasses or is it really that good? And it's it's a really good game still, I think. And I don't think there's anything quite like it to this day. So Stellaris does not compare. Stellaris is really good in different ways. Stellaris, the ship combat, is not as good. Stellaris' ship combat is just like, who's got bigger numbers? Okay, no no ship designing. There, there is ship designing, but you're better off just clicking auto-design. Okay. In my opinion. You don't have to worry about it to the same level as you do in Master Ryan 2. Anyway, there you go. That's that's that. Without going off into a half-hour discussion. Okay, fine. My next one is Broken Sword. I played all, I say all, most of the LucasArts point-and-click adventures. Did did you? Yeah, I've played quite a lot of them. Maybe not all, but certainly a good chunk. So Monkey Island, Dead Tentacle, Sam Max, Curse of Monkey Island. I think by that time, I think LucasArts had, had given up on the point-and-click stuff. And Revolution, I don't know what else they did. They did Beneath the Steel Sky, I think. Beneath the Steel Sky. And um, they also brought out Broken Sword. Which was some light-hearted approach to like a serious storytelling in a point-and-click game, and I think I'd got tired of all the comedy of all the Lucas Arts games, and I needed something different. And this definitely offered something different. This tried to present like a real-life story rather than some dog and rabbit police detective duo, and it just again it provided something different. The puzzles weren't so crazy. There was proper dialogue and it was globetrotting. So very much like much more cinematic, I would say. You say the puzzles are not so crazy. Is Broken Sword the one with the goat puzzle? Yes, it is. That's the only puzzle. I haven't played Broken Sword, but I've heard about this goat puzzle. <laughs> it's the only puzzle. <laughs> That's bizarre. Or abstract. But even then, you know what you need to do. It's just the order in which you need to do the actions is confusing. And it also told a story about the Templars. I think being a, um, I think a 15 year old then, stories about Templars is just, to me at that time anyway, was quite, Im- I don't know, I don't know what the right word is here. I couldn't tell you what the powerful the Templars did, but it just blew my mind. 
It's funny, actually, because now you, you mentioned Templars, which makes me think of Illuminati, which makes me realise yeah. neither of us has put any Deus Ex game on the list, for example. To me, that's suddenly an omission. It's like, oh yeah, why didn't I put Deus Ex? For all the games that are on this list, there's plenty of games that aren't on it that maybe should be on it or would be on it if it had been 10 or 20 or 30. Well, yeah, but, but it's not that good compared to the other seven, the seven that you have. You think? Well, that's what you're saying. Well, I I'm don't just know. Saying what you're you're telling me? No, I don't know because I'm looking at my list now and I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I've noticed the first three games on my list are all about tactical turn-based battles. That's what you get for being a snob. The third game on my list is UFO Enemy Unknown, which is actually XCOM, the original DOS XCOM. <laughs> Again, it's a turn-based strategy game where you've got your squad and I don't know. It must have just been how I was feeling that day when, you know, the tweet arrived and I had to come up with seven. And I guess it just happens that I really love turn-based tactical games. Even though I find them really mentally taxing to play, I must just really enjoy it. You like a tough life. I guess so. And I think the other thing is for me, this was the first XCOM game. I didn't have any of the history of it. I really liked the story and the extended like lore, like researching the aliens and it telling you, you know, where the aliens are coming from. This is how they work. This is how, you know, this is what they're trying to do with Earth. This is why they're invading Earth. Like all of that stuff, discovering that, that was really, really interesting to me. And I guess I put the first one down because that, you know, it had the biggest impact on me playing this first game because it was it was my first exposure to it maybe the new XCOM games are more accessible maybe they're even arguably more fun but they don't have that same impact I guess for me personally you always talk about story but do you think the mechanics of XCOM make a difference yeah the the mechanics I do like that's the other thing I guess these older XCOM games in a way they're very clunky but for the time they're very well they're very unforgiving but they're also they're very unforgiving but they're also very fine like there's a lot of granularity like it costs you like one time unit to turn your character it costs you four time units to take a step and so it's very granular uh you know i need to see around this corner and i have to in my head figure out what's going to cost me three steps and i have to turn to the right it's going to cost me 13 time units and oh i can only afford to spend 12 before i can take a shot so i shouldn't do it and that is exactly what has been streamlined out of the new xcoms which you know, as I said, accessibility-wise, has made them much easier to play. Maybe even it's made them more fun to play. But at the same time, it's definitely taken a level out of the strategy. Stuff like that. Before, you could do wacky stuff like, well, I've got someone else who doesn't have line of sight and is too far away, but they could probably shoot the corner off the building. And then I don't have to take two steps. And then I could do it. Like, really weird stuff like that that you could do that you start to think about. What can I say? I liked it. You can like it. It's fine. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Does it hold up now? That's that's a whole other conversation. Our favorite can mean whatever you. We well, know it can mean whatever you like to you. So your next game, very predictable. I feel Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Again, another one for me was, this was mind-boggling when I first played this. I chose this ahead of Mario 64. I think if if Ocarina of Time hadn't happened, I would have put Mario 64 here. Oh, Mario 64. Again, like, why? Neither of us picked that. Yeah. I told you why. Mm. You can tell me. Why did I? I just didn't think of it. <laughs> so, when the N64 came out, it did this crazy thing with building 3D worlds from their 2D franchises. They did this so well. And it was seamless. It's like, Mario 64 or Mario was always presented like this. It was all, this wasn't their first attempt at it almost. And same for Zelda. I mean, I remember first when people were talking about it, they, people mentioned, oh, they've taken out jump. They've taken out jump from Zelda. This is crazy, but it, it, it was seamless. It worked. And not only did the mechanics work, the world building was perfect. And it told a very, I don't know, for that time, what to me, what felt like a very epic story. You'll tell me from your, your RPGs that it's 
no it's a really good game it's a really it's a really good game it told a very i think a very simple story but it told it well and you were right i think it's really hard to to remember just how amazing the transition from 2d to 3d was for nintendo because you only have to look at say sonic to see how not to do it like most companies did not transition well to 3d most you know most game franchises did not transition well to 3d nintendo managed to transition their franchises to 3d amazingly well amazingly well and zelda is an incredible game as incredible a game as it is now think how it was then it was completely completely mind-blowing very good a very sensible pick again like why didn't i think of this staying on the nintendo theme we've got super mario world To my mind, still the best 2D Mario game. I just really like Super Mario World. I think, again, it was a very mind-blowing game going from the NES to the SNES. And suddenly you had, you know, you could save the game. You had secret exits. There was so much variety. Like, all the worlds had a different quirk. Like, you, you know, like, I was saying surprises, but good surprises. There's a whole... There's a whole world in there that's completely hidden, like the Star World, and there's no indication that it exists. Well, maybe not no indication, but it's it's definitely it's definitely hidden. And how quickly can you finish the game? There's going around the long way, or there's a shortcut through the Star World. You can finish the game really quickly if you know what you're doing. I haven't played the Wii U 2D Super Mario Brothers, so maybe that one is better, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. But mention the other more recent Mario Brothers, two two D ones at least. You feel that they don't seem to capture this quite the same magic. They don't. They it's not quite as they they suffer from the same problem. I think that most modern games do. Well, it's debatable whether it's a problem or not. But they want to make it really obvious that this exists. They don't want you to miss out on something that they went to the trouble of making. So there is like, oh, maybe there's a secret here. Hint, hint, hint. It's like really in your face it's very rare for you to be genuinely surprised whereas if you think back in the old days you had these very well hidden things and there was no internet either to spoil it for you i mean these things were really genuinely hidden and that the surprise of like going and talking to other people playing the game is like oh and did you know about this it's like no what what do you mean there's like a whole other world or you know what do you mean you can change all the coopers into mario masks and stuff like it's really crazy stuff that could happen that you ho- you would genuinely have no idea about and there's very little hint that it exists did you ever call a hint line <laughs> i i did once call a hint line <laughs> i not for this but for an rpg and i called up nintendo power the helpline and they also didn't know they were like oh sorry our book only tells us how to finish the game not all the side quests and you called like, the nintendo power Hotline. Whatever hotline. whatever the helpline in the back of the instruction oh, manual was. Oh, it is was. the official one. Yeah, the official one. Not one that I found on a card in a phone booth. Did you call that with permission? With permission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I told my parents. And I know, you, you look so shocked. I used to think, who would call, the, who, who can call these lines? Probably adults only. No, no, seriously. Same thing. I was just like, I really don't know what to do. And this is pre-internet. This is pre-internet. So so what happened is in our group of friends, someone would have the, you know, the, the guide at the back of a magazine. So if you knew, you'd advertise and people would just call you at night. What? Really? So yeah. So I had the, the guy for Curse of Monkey Island and had all my friends would just call me. Yeah, it's interesting how things worked back then. Should we move on? Yeah. I put Metal Gear down. Metal Gear Solid 1. you've not played this but you've played Metal i have Gear played 5. it no no i have played Metal Gear Solid one but i didn't finish it i've only played up to just after psycho mantis because i borrowed it from a friend i only played this on gamecube so i've never i never played it on the playstation so this was their remaster of Metal Gear solid oh 
why did I choose Metal Gear? It was like watching, I want to say like a Michael Bay film, but that's doing a disservice to, to Metal Gear, really. So I'm hoping you can help me find like a, a superior spy thriller. To Metal Gear? No, no. When it comes to film franchises. What was Metal Gear based on? What, what, what were the inspirations for Metal Gear? Because it's definitely inspired by films. Isn't there a film with Snake Plissken in it? Yeah, I know. That's Escape from New York, isn't it? Is it inspired by that? Clearly. But that's all I've got. But that's more on a, like a characterization thing. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Because it's meant to be a sort of um, a homage to all that cinema anyway. But I felt that it was the first time they did it in a game. And were there any other games that cinematic heavy? I'm pretty sure there were. Final Fantasy was like that, right? Yes. But for a relatively serious action game, it was exceptionally cinematic heavy and cutscene heavy. So what I want to say, not only was it the cinematics, but also the game mechanics, it tried to be clever and Hideo Kojima's commitment to making a game his own made a massive difference. So there will be very... I think id- idiosyncratic. Do I do I mean that idiosyncratic? Yeah, um, aspects of the game where they're not part of any other game. He's just put them in because he felt like it. Almost the the famous thing everyone says about Metal Gear is, oh, you need to contact Meryl. Her codec code is on the back of the CD case, and you're like, what CD case? And then you spend several hours trying to find the CD case in the game, and then you're fucking pissed off, and you realise the back of the CD case that the game came in, unless you rented it from Blockbuster, and then you're just screwed. So it's just so many elements that sum together to create a very cinematic spy thriller experience where you're running the show and you're not a passenger anymore. I mean, that's the ultimate difference. And that's one of the few times when I finished something twice. Really? Which for me is a proper commit, like, <laughs> achievement. Wow. Yeah, no wonder it's on your list. Yeah. Why, did you, why did you finish it twice? What did you do differently in each playthrough? I just played on hard difficulty and I played in a different costume because I could. What's the other costume? I just play in a tux. <laughs> really? you, were, you were trying to be like Bond. <laughs> Interesting. And it became a comfort game. Because you know the story. And you like the highs and lows of it. I don't know if you've ever done the same thing. Have you played the other Metal Gear Solid games? It was only the first one and the fifth one you've played. Or have you played two, three, four? I played two as well. But what, not why did you four. not play three or four out of interest? I didn't have a PlayStation. Oh. I had to borrow a PlayStation to play the second one. And the third one, I needed a PS2. And the fourth one... Oh, the fourth one was on PS3, but I never bought it. Okay, interesting. I'm just surprised, because considering how much you seem to have liked the first one. Next one is a beast. It's Minecraft. Minecraft, yeah, I liked Minecraft so much. It's really weird because I remember following the conception of Minecraft from like the creative mode only game and when it was like a Java applet, isn't it? You played on your web browser. And I remember playing some very, very early version of Minecraft when it was just creative mode and thinking, I don't get it. It seems kind of pointless. But then I eventually was convinced to buy it when it went free that weekend because i kept seeing i kept seeing people talking about it and then the, you know slashdot covered it back when slashdot was still a power on the internet and they melted the minecraft servers and it was free for everyone on one weekend so on that weekend i thought okay fine i'll try playing survival mode and the game had progressed to the point where actually it was amazingly fun it was just so much fun and again it's like the mystery of it the surprises you know, you're tunneling through the earth and you suddenly fall into a cavern and it's like dark and spooky and like lit by pools of lava. And then a skeleton comes up behind you and shoots you and you're freaking out and trying to run away straight into a creeper. Like it was the experience of playing it even back then in that early, early version was just really compelling. And then finding some like-minded other people and playing multiplayer together and doing random things like just deciding to excavate a massive pit by hand. Fun stuff. I, I don't know, just we just... 
I really enjoyed it. And then from there, going on to play the modded versions, and it's it's just a game that keeps on giving. There's just so much to it. It's what you make of it. You can you can play it creative mode and just build stuff if you like. You can play it survival mode. You can play it all the with all the mods. Well, I don't know what else to say. When you first booted up the, was it beta or app when it was in running in an applet? When was that? How far back does this thing go? Right. Uh, when I played it in the in an applet, I mean that must have been. It must have been like a year before I moved to Hong Kong. So is that like? It was probably like seven years ago. I don't know. It was it was definitely very early days of Minecraft. It's crazy. Seven years later, you're still playing this thing. Yeah, I mean, on and off, on yeah. and off. I do generally now. I guess I'm only playing it maybe like once a year, every now and then, when you know to play the new version of all these mod packs and stuff. I don't really play the vanilla game anymore, but it's more fun with playing with others as well. It's actually much more fun playing with others. But I'm not good enough to play with you, so. You're welcome to play I'm with sorry. me if you like. I can't. I don't think it's your kind of thing, though. If you made it our thing, we would do it. Hint, hint. Okay. Next up on my list was Uncharted Two. And if I had Uncharted 2, I would lend it to you. I would lend it to you so quickly. But I didn't. I, I've only lent you Uncharted 3. And was 3 not as good? It's not as good. Some of the level design is more shonky. Uncharted 2 is just... It was the pinnacle of the series. It's just Indiana Jones, the game. And who doesn't like Indiana Jones? You haven't played 4, though, have you? No, I've not. But that was like a conscious choice, wasn't it? Yeah, I do want to, because it talks about balancing... You know, he's Nate is getting old. He's married now. Has to sacrifice his dreams. <laughs> Sounds so depressing. Yeah, but I want to. I want to be part of that story. I want to see what how he reconciles that, or whether you know, or whether he doesn't. I don't want to say anymore. Okay, I chose it for because it's so cinematically perfect. You know, when it comes to games, Dark Souls. Dark Souls is my next pick. One. Dark Souls 1. Dark Souls 1. Again, I guess because it had the biggest impact on me, it being the first one. I think it also it has the most surprises. Again, like I was saying, whole areas completely hidden with very little indication that they exist. Or the only reference to it in the game is one line in an item description. But if you're really thinking about it and you're reading all these item descriptions, you can infer that this place must exist and then you find it. Amazing gameplay, unforgiving, but it's always your fault. If you died, it wasn't because the game was too hard, it's because you're not good enough. People who are good at the game, they can beat the game with no armour on, punching everything to death. If you're good, you can do it. Just so, so everything about it. It's, you haven't played the first one, have you? No, I've not played the first one. But you've got to do better than so everything about it. I think... It's just so, there's just so many surprises. It's, it's really a game that epitomizes the so many good surprises. You want to know, you want to know how this works. There's so many mysteries. Yep. It's true. It is quite cruel and unforgiving. There's many things that will lock you out. Like you only get one chance to do this thing or like you have to choose. Do you save this character or that character? And it's not like this is a choice moment. It's not like a dialogue box pops up and it's like do you want to save this person or that person you do something and that has consequences yeah it's not very explicit about it's the choices and to the extent that you can get locked out of the dlc if you just don't do the quest right and it's not even telling you if you don't do this right you'll get locked out of the dlc it's not even obvious that this is how you unlock the dlc it's almost like a game from a different time it's it's like a, it's a game back when games didn't have marketing people that said oh no 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 the player must see 96 percent of this game or oh turtles are in we've got to have turtles because everyone loves turtles they had some crazy vision and they just executed that vision it's not perfect 
there are bits of it that are really kind of weird or bad, like Bed of Chaos, what the hell. But it's a very good game that it's almost better. You don't want to be spoiled either. It's, you know, it's, it's better to be surprised. It's better to be surprised. So I've gone for ages. It's probably better that I stop before I get too much into the flow. But you've kept, you, you've bought into the franchise. You're always part of the franchise now. You've just finished the DLC for the third part. Yes. And you, what, do you think it's still surprising you as it did before? No, not so much. That's why it's like I'm saying, if you haven't played it, the magic of experiencing it for the first time is, yeah, is definitely a thing. They do still obviously try very hard to surprise you, but the subsequent games are still, I guess, kind of using the same kind of engine, the same kind of tropes of rolling and blocking and stuff. And so, I don't know. It's I, One thing is, I guess, I've picked Dark Souls rather than Demon Souls. I just like Dark Souls more. I really like the world design in Dark Souls. And I think the world design in Dark Souls is is still the best. It's better than any of the subsequent Souls games. It's better than Bloodborne. It's better than Demon Souls, So not only in my is opinion. It, not only is it the first one, it's also the best when it comes to level design. I think so. I think so. So. On that note, we can move on. So I've chosen Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. So looking back on things now, you never thought military shooters weren't a thing. Modern day contemporary military shooters weren't a thing until Modern Warfare came out. So now it's a tired and maybe a bored sort of genre now. But back then it was a thing. And it sort of, I for me it was, and my friends, it was the first time online multiplayer was a social thing which you got together regularly and you were just where you bought into an ecosystem and you were fully committed to advancing your character. I think, you know, another one is, why did you not pick World of Warcraft now? Think about it, right? (laughs) Why did you not pick World of Warcraft? But it's, it's producing that same sort of, sort of social aspect, which you didn't have before with other games. So as part of Modern Warfare 2, I I was bought a headset as well, you know, a wireless headset with the, the adapter. And, for for us, it was like we had two stroke three screens in the lounge. So we have more than one PS4 set up, like PS3 set up. So that was a very big social aspect. And as well as that, you had the campaign. It was very epic. And this, this time it was very Michael Bay. And it was very summer blockbuster. And again, it just ramped up how spectacular games could be in terms of their scripted set pieces. And now they're a bit more tired, but back then they were very special. And I guess some people still relate to that because that franchise is still ongoing. It's right? still going, yeah. Call of Duty versus Battlefield. Did you put Battlefield down? I didn't put Battlefield down, but I guess I fall on the more on the... Well, I don't know. I don't think I played these games anywhere near as much as you, though. But I think I played more of Battlefield and the Battlefield games than the Call of Duty side. So I did play both of them for multiplayer. I haven't bought Battlefield 1 yet, even. But that's, when you say yet, it means you will. Well, I'm considering it. But then I never bought Battlefield 4 or Hardline, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's time and place has gone. You know, like you said, it's the social aspect. I think is a really big part of it. And I don't really know so many people out here who are going to be playing it. So, Yeah, you need to squat, to squat up in Battlefield 1. Okay, so my last one. Space Chem. You see, all these games, actually, I've talked about loads. I think I've talked about them so much before. It's a puzzle game. It's unforgiving. It's, again, it's harkening back to an earlier age of, sorry, you're not good enough, so get lost. Rather than, oh, fine, here's a coin, and you can use it to buy your way past this puzzle. Don't worry. If you play long enough, you'll get more coins. It's like, no, 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 you're shit. Get out. Come back when you've got a brain. It's hard. It's unforgiving. 
it's a puzzle game for people who think they're smart and then it just punches you in the face like you're not as smart as you think it's really tough it took me dozens of hours to finish the main game i remember being stuck on one puzzle for probably like 10 hours it's a hard hard game so you needed notepad and paper i didn't use a notepad and paper but i don't think a notepad and paper would have helped you know, I didn't look up any solutions. I didn't look up any whatever. I wanted to do the whole thing on my own. Of all things, that puzzle that took me 10 hours to do, the eventual revelation I had was, I need to know how to count to three. And then figuring out how to count to three in the context of Space Chem. Let's quickly talk about what Space Chem is, because it's not a, a mainstream game. It's a, a 2D machine. Like, would you call them, you're building machines or... In the story of the game, you're building machines to assemble molecules. Uh, so you've got these like factories that can manipulate chemicals and build chemical bonds. So you are given a load of chemicals and you have to produce another chemical at the end of this pipeline. And it's a puzzle game. It's effectively like a 2D programming language. They don't actually sell it to you that way, but that's kind of, well, at least that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And so you've got loops and branches and counters and stuff, but not explicitly. It's not like you can put down a number. You've just got some thing that toggles on and off and stuff, and you've got to figure out how to use that to count to, well, count to three, it turns out in the end. So it's quite unforgiving. You have to think in quite an abstract way. The thing that I really enjoyed about it is that there's a story to it as well, because you know how much I love a story. Yep. So as much as it's corporate needs us to make this chemical, make it in the most efficient way you can, there's also bits of, you're sent to this planet for your assignment to build these chemicals and then suddenly this machine will go rogue and try and demolish the factory and you have to try and stop the machine using the chemicals you've got on hand. You've got to like build, you know, there could be a dangerous build up of this chemical in the silo that will cause it to explode and you've got to make it explode as this machine is driving past to, to push it off course or a freighter is going to crash into the space station but you've got chemicals that you can use to pump into like a gas laser and so you've got to build a pipeline to power this laser to shoot down this freighter before it crashes into the station because the freighter's the ai's been overridden it's going to crash and then the story of why do these things keep happening and trying to find out the truth it's it's a really interesting game i really enjoyed it probably my favorite puzzle game of all time because it validated your intelligence <laughs> that too <laughs> that too it made me feel like a clever person when i solved it was there an achievement for it there is an achievement for finishing space chem do many people have it? Actually, yes. As a percentage of people who own Space Chem, quite a lot of people have it. Because if you're the sort of person who buys Space Chem, you're probably the sort of person who's going to want to feel like they're a clever person and try and solve it. And after I finished Space Chem, I looked at some other people's solutions and I realised, wow, I'm not that clever. This solution is a hundred times better than mine. So again, it, it makes you feel like you're smart and then it makes you feel like, you know what? I'm not so smart after all. But smart enough. But smart enough. So I made a clerical error here. In my tweet out, I, I put down GTA 5, but I really meant LBP. I can't even blame autocorrect. It's not even close. Wait, LBP? A little bit planet. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've told you about how I watched this GZC presentation and it gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside because I was playing with my friends. There's four of us and we were creating stuff and it was a very cutesy world and everyone's smiling and the music was all very joyful and inspiring and hopeful. Mm -hmm. And that's why I bought a PlayStation. And, you know, they sold the dream of like Web 2.0 with, you know, create, share, play. It's a lot of marketing and had a lot of hope for it. I thought that's how all new games will be played, where people out there would create levels for me, I would play them with my friends, and we can talk about them and be a never-ending supply of amazing levels. So you pick Little Big Planet as your last pick. Yeah. Clear. But did you play Little Big Planet much? Did I you played, actually... Played it to the end, yeah. You played it to the end? Yeah. What does that mean? You played it to the end of the levels that came with the game? Yeah. So you didn't really play any of the crowdsourced stuff? I played some of the, the stuff that was recommended by websites i would play picking them out but the self-discovery or discovery in, th in the game is very weak as you'd expect i just find it funny because you really hyped up little big planet 
But then I don't really see you playing because you, you don't have any of the, the subsequent ones in the series. And again, you bought Mario Maker, I think, for very similar reasons. Yes. But you don't really play Mario Maker. So I just feel, I just find it funny that you put it on your list of seven fave games, but you don't really seem to play it. You like, you really like the idea of it more than you like the actual thing. Or it's the emotion that they generate. Or it's a memory I attach to them, I think. I mean, that's what's more important to me with these games. I think with all of them, they're sort of, they've all done something different and they've made me feel hopeful of something else. If that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I'll I th- allow it. I'll I thought it was the start of something new or something big, but it never happened. Well, I think for a lot of people it did. I don't know though. I don't really follow Little Big Planet community because I've I've never played any of them. I looked at it. I watched the videos and stuff. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, but it didn't really grab me. At least, certainly not in the same way that Mario Maker has. Like, I watch people play Mario Maker. I enjoy watching Mario Maker Let's Plays, but I can't say I've ever really watched Little Big Planet ones. It just seems too floaty and weird and physicsy and not fun to play. At least that's how it looks to me. I don't know if that's true or not. No, you're right. Mechanics-wise, it's a bit floaty, but it's the it's the world that's created. And obviously, you believe everyone has the ability to create these perfectly themed levels that fit together, not only visually, but also when it comes to the music as well. But that's never the reality. We live in a very edited world. The reality is not what's on the screen. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. The Facebook feed view of your life, when all you see is expensive sushi restaurants and kittens. And you, you know, as part of that video, it's like, oh, you, you create this wonderful level and you put it online and people just love you and like heart you and like you and put loads of comments saying how great your level is. And you know, you watch your level rise up to the top of these leaderboards to say, oh, you're, you have the most popular level in the world. That's not real. Because no one has that innate ability to put something together. It's like, duh, what's the point of this level? It's shit. <laughs> yeah. What to do with the boot? There's a hope of something better, but the reality is not, it's not, that's not the case. Because I'm sure it's the same with um, those, those wands and the 3D sculpting. Oh, yeah, like Oculus Medium or yeah. Tilt Brush. Yeah, you see these people make these amazing things and you try and make it and you're like, it looks kind of like a slug. <laughs> oh, look, I made another slug. <laughs> and another. I'm really good at making these slugs. <laughs> Copy and paste. Do I, do I need to say something proper about Uncharted rather than just say, oh, it's like Indiana Jones? You should say something about how it made you feel, about how Uncharted 2 is the one that everyone does love what was it about it that particularly made you feel it's okay so i started off with saying it's like indiana jones the game but what does that mean it's a globe trotting adventure but that's light but you feel it's like on a holiday did you play mario sunshine i did play mario sunshine wasn't that like going holiday uh i have never been given a jetpack on holiday and i can't say i've destroyed so many archaeological sites on holiday either looking at it from the Uncharted perspective. But yeah, I know what you mean, really. I'm only being facetious. Yeah, it's a, a light, enjoyable romp, which really devalues it somewhat, but it's, it's an enjoyable experience and a cinematic one at that. I mean, when you say cinematic, I think the set-piece moments in Uncharted... I've only played Uncharted 3, but some of the set-piece moments in that... I mean, there are some that you kind of expect, and it's like, okay, fine, it's a shootout in this like thing and lots of boxes fall over whatever but there's other ones where it's like did that just happen you know where mild spoilers you're on a sinking ship how do they do that you know that was amazing i can't believe there was a level on a sinking ship i can't believe that happened you know and uncharted 2 has similar set piece moments doesn't it yes well there's one on moving train yeah that's the one i've that's the one i've seen it's really hard to articulate because I didn't play Uncharted 1. So if I had played Uncharted 1, I probably still would have picked Uncharted 2, but it would have been as fresh a feeling. I think if, if we were talking about Last of Us, it'd be a lot easier because it's a culmination of all this Uncharted business, but it's there's a deep, dark story behind it all and it's much more adult in theme. 
You say that, but Last of Us doesn't have that set piece moment like Uncharted does, does it? I can't think of any single moment in Last of Us that has quite the same cinematic spectacle as Uncharted. Obviously, that's not what it's about. There's more emotional impact. Like the giraffe. I don't know. Last of Us. Because it's interesting how you, how you associate certain progressions in the genre, but you look somewhere into another genre and think, but they're miles ahead in that genre, like when it comes to storytelling. You'll say Uncharted is really good at storytelling, but it's really linear and it's very self-contained. But you look at storytelling in other games, like any RPG, you would arguably say it's much more advanced in that genre, but you'll look at them separately. Mm, I don't know. I mean, everything's different. Everything's got strengths and weaknesses. I don't think it's as simple as a genre or even a, a game, especially when it comes to things like the consequences of stuff. Like, like to go back to Dark Souls, you know, in a way it's very light on story. There's not very much dialogue in there. There's not, there's no conversation trees, but at the same time, the story is really, really deep. It's actually in a way, it, the story is much more advanced because you're telling the story by your actions and it's not shoving it in your face, like going, read this wall of text. That's the story. You know, you just have to infer that this was the story. Why am I doing these things? Why am I trying to link the first flame? What is the first flame? The answers are in there, but you've got to really look for them and they're much more rewarding as a result. Uncharted, I think, is quite different. As you say, it's it's a very cinematic experience. It's like, here you go, here's the story. It's just you're experiencing it. It's like a film. It's got the spectacle. It's an incredible thing. It's it's more that... That's going to be the question about things when they age, because I'm still talking about Dark Souls 1, the first one, which is a long time ago. And you're, I guess, still talking about Uncharted 2, which is the second one, but still a long time ago. But in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, the spectacle of, they did that thing on the sinking cruise ship or the train or whatever, is that going to be surprising as games get more advanced and as procedural generation gets more advanced? I assume maybe one day you'll be able to tell an AI, yeah, I want a level, I want there to be a sinking cruise ship, and the AI will go, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that for you um, right after I've conquered the world. It'll be a case of you put yourself in a VR headset and you're on a sinking ship and you get horrible motion sickness. Yeah, that's true, actually. You're right. Maybe this is the last time we can do this because, the, you know, <laughs> in VR, it'll cause motion sickness. And so that's the last time we can have a game on a sinking ship or a, a crashing train or whatever. It seems to me I'm just chasing cinematic experiences throughout and I just overuse it as a term and a reason. It's true, actually. Looking at those lists, your lists are all very cinematic and mine are all very mechanic. Which is complete opposite to what we were which isn't what we set ourselves to be, out no. to be. But, and yet, when I was talking about them, I kept referencing the story a lot of the time. Oh, who knows? People are complicated, turns out. And nuanced, all different. So we tell ourselves. To get through the day. <laughs> Sorry. It's when you start putting tattoos on you, then I'll think. Putting, pushing it out. Putting tattoos on me? Yeah. <laughs> like what? I don't know. Or make yourself more unique. Because you, you're the one who uses um special... Like a special snowflake. I'm saying it in a slightly derogatory way, though. I, I, I'm, I'm being... I'm trying to be funny. I don't even know where that phrase comes from. I'm probably being really offensive. I don't know. I'm sure I'm, at some stage I'll be so excited. I'll be in a very excitable state and I'll misquote you and I'll say special sunflower, special unicorn. <laughs> like a special sunflower? <laughs> yeah. Just replaying it in my mind. So happy. I can just, I'm just imagining a special sunflower. It's actually quite. It's quite positive. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, that's it. There's just an episode for ourselves. That doesn't sound right. About ourselves. An episode about ourselves. Some some pointless self-reflection and wankery. Oh. Sorry. At least you know where Mike's coming from now. So that's one year. Here's to another one. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're getting older. It's, that's the impression I'm getting here. Now we're getting older. Another year, another year wasted. How long before we do another pointless list episode? Another year. <laughs> <laughs> Quick wishes for 2017. Persona 5 will be awesome when it's translated into English. NS will have a proper Super Mario 64 sequel. What you said. You don't have anything for next year. I think what you said is already covers it. Yeah, I don't have anything special. I don't have anything extra. Sadly. Oh, 
That's not lots of hopes and dreams. We have all of two. Surprisingly, I just I just can't think of anything. I don't know. I feel like I'm all Sir Michael is kind to Ting. It's <laughs> another one. <laughs> You're like Dobby the house elf. <laughs> we were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. We are now one years old. One year old, isn't it? One year old, yes. We are now one year old. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. And please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. And we have a subreddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. And that's it. That is it. Uh, 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 uh. If you mean lifts... Bye-bye. Bye-bye.